What's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, November the 8th, 2021. This is episode 90 of the podcast. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, just to name a few. If you're over on YouTube, all you need to do is search bar Matt Bernie or show you get this episode along with the 89 prior. Uh, this is, if you couldn't tell, a little bit of a sleepy show. Got back from San Diego. I uh, got home probably about midnight last night, right around there. Um, it just, you know, Breeders' Cup will do that to you. It'll tire you right out. Long trip out there. Had a great time. We'll dive into some of the, the highlights and the lowlights. And just for me, it's more a matter of being honest about the, the reality of the situation in that for whatever reason and I'm curious what happened with all of you in your Breeders' Cup experiences and if you've had these same things in the past I think we can use negative pieces to our advantage and I say negative pieces negative outcomes outcomes that don't go the way that you had hoped that they would when in reality you knew going into something what to expect, yet you tried to do something different and it didn't work. And and I'm not going to do a full, you know, deep dive into the Breeders' Cup races. Maybe that'll come in the weeks to come. But I haven't gone through and watched all the tapes. This is more of just thinking about things that seem obvious and that we've talked about here. And for whatever reason... You throw caution to the wind, or you get caught up in, in hype, and you think about, oh, this is, this is it. Finally, we have an opportunity. And in reality, in reality, it's much simpler than maybe we, or me, want to make it out to be. So let's start with, well, let's, let's start with the first piece, the whole Friday debacle with modern games. Uh, everyone has already pretty much made clear cases, and rightfully so. It was, I believe, we phrased it as a, a blunder of epic proportions. And my only piece here is, I, I I don't necessarily, I'm not one of the people that has a problem that the horse ran. But, you gotta protect the better. I, 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 you, you can't continue to have the better be the one to get screwed. That, that just cannot happen. And it would be bad enough if it happened on a sleepy Friday at Aqueduct. But to happen on our biggest stage is a disaster. It's just, and, and I respect that maybe you want to say it was out of an abundance of caution given everything that's gone on for the past two years or three years or four years with trying to make sure that we don't have any catastrophes out there on the racetrack. That part I can completely understand and respect. And actually, I would prefer being a little bit cautious. But when protocols aren't followed, when the horse isn't even given a thorough look behind the gate, and he's immediately scratched. I look at it and go, well, what, what the hell are we doing? Bad enough. But now, the horse again goes out there and wins like a sure thing, like a cinch. And all the betters are the ones that are going to get screwed over. Because you're stuck with a horse that you had no interest in to begin with. Or you had planned on doing something from a betting standpoint that now you didn't because Modern Games is not a betting entity and all these other different things. 
but it's just a comedy of errors. And then I'm not even getting into all the stuff with the the statements that have been released that continue to contradict themselves. And I just it's all it's all BS and nonsense. Point being, as I've said many times, this isn't breaking news. Racing needs to get its act together. Got to got to clean things up here, guys. But also, there's got to be a better way of doing this, especially from like a multi-race standpoint. People have pointed it out, and it's true. You can put civilians into space, but we don't have a way to quickly or uh, electronically put in an alternate in case of scenario for a pick four, a pick five, or a pick six. Instead, you get stuck with the post-time favorite, which could be a horse that you despise. It's mind-boggling to me. Some of the things that can be done with technology, yet we're living with, is seemingly given the technology that's available in the Stone Age. That's enough of that. I think everyone here is in agreement, and I say here, listening, watching, gamblers, in agreement that it, it was a disaster. Again, I will say, I don't have a problem with the horse running. I am not someone who believes that that situation with respect to the owners and to the horse. The horse deserves to run. He was clearly the best horse in the race. He deserved to get out there and strut his stuff. It was a human error. Errors happen. But it feels like whenever the errors happen, the better is the one that gets screwed. And that's the thing that can't continue to happen. Accidents happen, no question about it. I'm not going to fault for being a little proactive or maybe a little cautious, but A, you got to follow the entirety of the protocols and know what's going on. B, stop putting out statements that make it look like no one knows what the hell's going on because incompetence is is arguably the worst the worst thing that anybody can be or a group can be. And stop and and there let's have some folks try to figure out a way to make this thing work that all the technology that's out there and you have to get stuck with the post-time favorite. I don't understand it. As far as the racing goes, and this is going to be more of a, um, not a therapy session, but, an, but being an, uh, being honest. There were things that I knew going into this that for whatever reason, I did not act on accordingly. And when I say this, the Breeders' Cup. Well, let's start off with things that have been discussed on this show. Number one. Speed on dirt is king and queen, specifically in route races in Southern California. If you have speed and you're the speed of the speed, you have a major, major advantage. Now, a few weeks ago, we did the track profile piece and I said those same words. You are much better off being within about a length or so of the pace than you are having a rally from out of it unless there is a complete and utter meltdown. Well, we had a complete and utter meltdown in the Breeders' Cup this staff, and I'm sure there are some folks listening going, well, what happened? You know, you're just contradicting yourself. The speed fell apart. Why would you want to be out there? They went obscenely fast. Obscenely fast. And that's on a day when the main track at Del Mar was playing fast. To put it into perspective, and I wrote about it over on NBCSportsEdge.com, the Phillies and Mares in the distaff went six lengths faster to the opening quarter than the boys did in the Classic. 
Like there, there was no way that was a sustainable pace situation, which is why the horses from off of it were able to take advantage. Apart from that race, look at the dirt routes Friday and Saturday at the Breeders' Cup. I'm looking at the classic right now. Nick's go right to the front, goes on and wins. Life is good, right to the front, goes on and wins. Day prior, Corniche, right to the front, goes on and wins. Echo Zulu, right to the front, goes on and wins. Now I understand some folks are going to look at it and go, those were four favorites. Yes, but you also have to ask yourself why they were favorites. Nick's go technically wasn't the outright favorite, but he was among the favorites. Why are they considered favorites? Because typically speed does better. And for whatever reason, in the classic, I said, oh, let me take a horse that perhaps can sit a trip. When in reality, from a pace standpoint, Nick's go was always the, the fastest horse. I really thought Medina Spirit was going to go at him. I really did. Because he couldn't win, in my opinion, pulling the trip that he did. Now, whether that was the plan or not, who knows? But for them to gift wrap this race, and I maintain, I firmly believe that, a horse of Nick's goes caliber, they gift wrap this race to him. And I have had so many people come to me on Twitter and go, he went 45 and three to the half. What are you, like, how are you saying that this was gift wrapped? If you're just looking at the raw time, you're doing it wrong. And I'm not trying to be a jerk about it, but you... You probably need to reassess how you're looking at races if you're just basing things on the raw time. Given the way Del Mar was playing on Friday and Saturday, Saturday specifically, the times were not fast from a pace standpoint in the Breeders' Cup Classic. They were not. And I'm going to pull up Timeform US right now. The opening quarter of 23 seconds for Nick's go is a walk in the park. For how fast that horse is. The half of 45 and 3, which is what I'm using off of Timeform US. And if you look at Formulator, they've got the half and 45 and 3. Okay, 45 and 3. The pace rating is a 127. Now, when you think about that, 127, I pull up PPs from. Saturday, and you see how fast some of these horses have run in the past from a pace figure standpoint, tell me that this wasn't gift wrapped to him. Medina Spirit has run pace figs of 136, 145, 143, 151, and he's not even a burner, but he is a horse that likes to do his running on the front. He has run figs, pace figs, that are faster than what Nick's go did early on. I'll go to Hot Rod Charlie. Hot Rod Charlie in the Pennsylvania Derby. He went. He had a pace fig of 156. In the past, he's gone 126, 126. That would put him right there with Nick's go. Instead, instead he's what three lengths off of it. I mean, who else do you want to go with? You want to go with Art Collector? Art Collector's never actually had figs that are all that fast. So for him, and that actually kind of makes my point, that for him to be in second, a length and a half behind Nick's go, when his best pace figs are in that sort of, as an older horse with Bill Mott, are in the 120 range. They weren't going fast. The clock looks fast, but with the way the track is playing, it really wasn't fast. 
So when you get a horse like Nick's Go, who, by the way, has routinely had pace figs of 140, 131, 148, 145, 144, and he's gone off and won for fun, it's no, can you understand why I sit there and go, they gift wrapped it to him? He's a horse that needs to be challenged or at least looked in the eye. And if they were going out there with an unbelievable pace situation, I would agree and say, well, how fast did you want anybody else to go? But they weren't going that fast. And if you're someone who's looking at it going 45 and three is fast, it sounds fast, but it depends on how fast the track is playing. It's all relative. And at Del Mar on Saturday, that was not a particularly fast pace. It was an honest pace, but it wasn't fast. Especially for a horse like Nick's Go. By the way, the last time he earned, or he had to use sort of figs, pace figs in this ballpark, the Whitney, 131. You see a 128 in there. He won the Whitney by four and a half. He only won this one by almost three lengths, so maybe he wasn't on his best. You get my point, though? It's all relative. There was an option. There was an N3X race last fall at Keeneland. He went 120 for a pace fig early on. He drew off and won by 10. This was not a fast pace. So I say they gift wrapped it to him. And again, shame on me for thinking that somebody would go after him. And maybe everybody was just all of a sudden shell shocked with the way that that distaff completely imploded because everyone went bananas early on in that race. But. For me, that was a, and take nothing away from the horse. That's the other thing. I had people going, oh, you just need to give credit where credit's due. Don't get me wrong. This is an exceptionally fast racehorse. Probably underrated in the grand scheme of things. 112 buyer speed figure for Nick's go. In the past five years, he's probably one of the most underrated runners that we've had. But I, I, didn't, I didn't learn anything on Saturday. I know, oh, great, he can get a mile and a quarter. I really wasn't worried about that. What happens if he doesn't get the lead? And and if Medina Spirit genuinely didn't break alertly and, and all of a sudden there needed to be an audible call, that's fine. I get it. But at that point, everyone else, when you saw Nick's go clear for the opening quarter, I turned to Steve Kornacki and I go, the race is over. It's a matter who's going to run second now. Nobody's going to run him down. He's, he's a wickedly fast horse. But if he's going to get things all his own way on the front end, I mean, I don't think anybody can beat him. Frankly, not right now anyway. Well, maybe there's one horse. We'll get to him in a little bit. By the way, comparing the pace figs to the distaff, the horses early on. Private Mission, 157. 157. Latrusco, 154. She Dares the Devil, 151. Those are pace figs. They went considerably faster than the boys did later on in the Classic. Considerably faster. So, point being, something that we knew, yet I did not act on. Speed and dirt routes. Specifically Southern California, but you can really say it almost universally uh, across the board. Speed and dirt routes, usually going to be pretty good. Going to be hard to beat. You need to either have a pace meltdown, like the distaff, or have just as far superior horse. Okay? Turf racing. Take the foreign horses. Our horses aren't good enough. I know Warlike Goddess ran really well, but she still couldn't get the job done. 
You look at the turf. Maybe I'm being unkind. I don't look at Yabir and think he's a brilliant racehorse. Now, to be fair, this was another pace meltdown. But, but for Yabir to win our biggest race, I look at that and go, holy smokes, man. I, and, and to be fair, I'd have to go back and watch the tape and go through to look for trips and things like that. But the top four are all European horses. The only American-based horse in the top seven was Channel Maker, who ran a tremendous race to finish fifth. You look at the Philly and Mare Turf. Loves only you, Japan. My sister Nat, it's Chad. Warlike goddess, Bill Mott. Those two fillies ran massive races. Races that I didn't, especially my sister Nat, I didn't think she was capable of that. She had a fast pace to run at, as did Warlike Goddess. So if you're looking at it from that aspect, saying that the two American horses had arguably perfect setups and still couldn't beat Love's Only You, who was much closer to the pace, Love, who was much closer to the pace and wide, and Adaria, who was still starting ahead of my sister Nat and Warlike Goddess, Point being, the foreign horses on turf are just better. They just are. And I know some folks have argued with that in the past. Look at the Breeders' Cup mile. Smooth Leg Straight's a good horse. He was allowed to walk out there on the front end in the grand scheme of things for his ability. And he just couldn't hold off that late kick from Space Blues. Space Blues is just a better horse. Plain and simple. And maybe this is the race that you want to argue and say, well, you know, you can't just take all the Europeans. There were only a handful of Europeans in the race. This was predominantly an American race. Space Blues wins. There are other examples. Let's go to Friday. Juvenile, juvenile turf. Modern games. Miles the best in that spot. Miles the best. He might be sneaky next year as far as like as their classics are concerned. He's a very good horse, I think. And, you know, the, the whole disaster set aside. Juvenile Phillies turf, credit to Pizza Bianca. Christoph Clement, he finally gets his victory. Much deserved. Um, Bobby Flay, another win. Uh, look, I think she's very good. Malavath, who finished the second at 17 to 1. Granted, she needed a she got a perfect trip, but she was kind of an afterthought in the race. And she nearly won. Another race where the pace more or less came apart. So, rule of thumb. The Europeans are the, the foreign horses. I'll include the Japanese in there as well. The foreign horses are just better than our American turf horses. They just are. They just are. We've got enough of a sample size. Now, to, to this isn't news. Specifically these days, Charlie Appleby. But, point being, it, it's, it's obvious stuff that, for me personally, for whatever reason... I ignored. And I don't know if it's just a me thing or what, but you you have these moments and you look at it and you go, ah, maybe this, maybe this can happen. When in reality, you just, just stick to these, these ideas are typically right more often than not. And sure, they're, they're, nothing is foolproof. Nothing's going to be 100%. But more often than not, speed on dirt routes wins. Europeans or foreign horses on turf win. You know what else wins? 
Wesley Warden turf sprints. Let's go to the turf sprint to start things off on Breeders' Cup Friday. Juvenile Phillies, excuse me, the Juvenile Turf Sprint. Twilight Gleaming. Breaks like he was shot out of a cannon. Wins for fun. I say for fun. Half length, but I mean, all intents and purposes. A phenomenal performance from that horse. Coffee Maker, the third of the three wards, finishes third. Averly Jane, the favorite, she finishes fifth. So five of the top, three of the top five, Wesley Ward. Okay. We learn from that, right? No. No, because then we go over to Saturday, and I'm as guilty as anyone. And keep in mind, I basically, I'm just venting, saying these are all things that I screwed up, and I'd be curious how many of you did. Because from a betting standpoint, my Breeders' Cup was a disaster. BCBC was a mess. I was alive to horses I wanted to be alive to for numbers that would have at least given me an opportunity to play. When I say that, I mean, would have gotten me to a point, would have gotten me up to sort of the 9,000 range or the 8,000 range or later on throughout the day on Saturday back to five or 6,000 and then I could at least be positioned late to take a swing. I was alive in doubles to love and she's parked wide and she doesn't fire. Or she did fire, but she just got beat by a better horse. Then I'm alive to Jackie's Warrior for, for a $2,200 double or somewhere thereabouts. He gets beat. I've got in love in the mile. He ran fine. Too far back on a day where I, I, I think the way it all played out probably needed to be a little bit more forward. Not, certainly not going to blame the rider. Probably not good enough either, the horse. And then Clarier, who it all worked out the way that I hoped it would. And I was losing my mind at the top of the lane because I thought she was home. And she doesn't even hit the board. So that was just kind of me in a nutshell this weekend from a betting standpoint. But getting back to the the Captain Obvious things that all of a sudden when I look back at all the results, I go, so wait a minute. Ward wins the turf sprint on Friday. He wins the turf sprint on Saturday in the exact same fashion, the way Wesley Ward turf sprinters win, breaking like they've been shot out of a cannon, right to the front, come and catch me, Golden Pal, Pay seven dollars. And I go, what? I start rubbing my eyes. I go, what? What are you doing? How are you? How are you screwing this up that badly? These are not outrageous thoughts. So between the speed on dirt, the Europeans on turf, and Wesley Warden turf sprints. I mean, you've just, aside from the two dirt sprints, you've just summed up the Breeders' Cup. And I think these, I, I'm going to write myself a note, put a sticky note on one of the monitors over here to revisit this next fall at Keeneland. Because some of these things are very basic. And yet, I somehow managed to, to jack it up. All around, I thought the stories were fantastic. And I'm not usually the story guy. You know, I'm, I'm more about how the, the race itself play out and the nuts and bolts of it. But the Japanese contingent winning two races, March Lorraine and Love's Only You, the, some of the big-time performances we saw. Nick's Go, 
was spectacular. Again, he didn't go, you know, groundbreakingly fast like some people have made it out like he did. He didn't, but he still ran his eyeballs out. It was a giant performance. Speaking of giant performance, life is good. I still believe he would have given a horse like Nick's go a proper chance. I would have picked him, and I, I personally, I think he could have won the race. But I, I recognize that's nothing more than me kind of sticking to my guns and, and believing that. But from a fig standpoint, very close, and I'm just not, fingers crossed. We get that showdown at Gulfstream in January. I don't care if there's three other horses that show up. I want to see Nick's go and life is good in the Pegasus at a mile and an eighth at Gulfstream Park. Give me that. That's all I need. I don't need to see anything else. That's the matchup that we all need to see and we all want to see right now. I don't think any other horses really even fit in the conversation. Maybe Latruska. Even on her best, she's slower than those two. That's that's the race. I want to see Nick's go and life is good. And I want them to battle. I want them to look each other in the eye. I don't want one of them to go and one of them to take back and say we don't want to we don't want to compromise our chances at at hitting the board and getting a big check. I want to see the the two of them throw it down. That's what I want to see right now. Some of the other stories though. Superstar performance from Echo Zulu. Superstar performance. I had a decent bet on Juju's map, or it was at least alive. And with the way, with about a half mile, when Flo started just just knuckling on her a little bit, and she couldn't she couldn't make up that gap, I said, "Ooh, buddy, this is this thing is over." Now it's a matter of how far. But it's not even the matter that Echo Zulu won. It was that she was finishing down the lane, and I love the way that she was extending. I mean, look, I. I never had anything negative to say about Echo Zulu, but I, I was by no means in love with her. She was phenomenal. Really impressive stuff. I thought she was really, really good on Friday afternoon. Give credit to Corniche. minute Jack Christopher is withdrawn from the race, things open up. Corniche goes right to the front, and he ran as well. Went much faster early than Echo Zulu did. Clock came back a little bit slower. You know, he still... Things worked out very well for him in that spot. By no means am I saying he's not a good horse, but I'll be curious to see when there is some other speed in one of these races. You know, if Jack Christopher were in there, then how would Corniche have played it? Would Mike Smith have sat off of him as opposed to going right to the front? And just overall, I thought it was a really good Breeders' Cup from a story standpoint. Aside from the disaster that was the juvenile turf and the betting situation, and aside from my own struggles... I thought it was a great event. I thought some of the stories were really, really strong. I thought the performances were exceptional. And I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. And I don't want to give short shrift to CeCe, who took advantage of a situation where the pace didn't even really work to her advantage. She was just in good form for a good trainer. I wrote on NBC Sports Edge that you know, Michael McCarthy might be the most underrated trainer in the United States. For all the races that he has won, CC getting the job done for him, gets another Breeders' Cup. And then as far as the sprint is concerned, Jackie's Warrior, oh, 
partially, I think, because the inside is not where you want it to be, in my opinion, just based on watching the races the one or two times that I have. Inside both days at Del Mar, didn't look great. Kind of similar to 2017. Maybe Jackie's just kind of tired after a long run. But good for the folks involved with, with Aloha West. Horse finished like a freight train down the center of the track for Wayne Catalano, and he got up just in the shadow of the wire. I was wrong on both calls of the photo. I don't know if the, the camera's in a weird position or what, but I thought Dr. Chival had won, and I thought uh, Dunbar, was Dunbar Road or Royal Flag? Who, whichever Chad got nosed out in the distaff, I thought they had won. Instead, it was March Lorraine, and it was Aloha West. But exciting racing. I think everyone's got a little bit of Breeders' Cup hangover. It's going to be nice to take a breath for a couple days, and, you know, we can start to look at some other things. Before you know it, Gulfstream is right around the corner. Aqueduct opens up this week, um, and we'll get it closer and closer to the turn of the year, which will mean the Pegasus is on the horizon, the Saudi Cup is on the horizon, and the three-year-old prep races are on the horizon as we get closer and closer to the Triple Crown. So let me know what your thoughts are beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt, as far as all the Breeders' Cup action is concerned, what you liked, what you didn't like, if you have thoughts on any of the horses, if you want more of an in-depth overview of some of them. Again, next few weeks are going to be relatively quiet, so we can have time to go through. And maybe we get into a little bit more of a Q&A. If you have specific things that you want me to talk about or touch on, let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now we're going to wrap up this week's show talking about 538, some NFL forecasts for week number 10. Last week, much like my Breeders' Cup, bit of a bloodbath find out hopefully this week is going to be a little bit better so let's roll into that and get you out of here in a decent order nfl week 10 538.com go over some forecasts unfortunately for me last weekend bit of a disaster i think four and eight overall one game was a draw that i had a 50 50 shot um the good news is it seems like everyone had a bit of a disaster in the NFL, there were a, a number of upsets. I think the, the underdogs winning outright was somewhere in the 8 or 9 range. Uh, don't quote me on that. But point being, the, the dogs had a big weekend. I'm going to go through this. Those of you that are unfamiliar with the whole 538 exercise, you assign a probability to any given team winning any given game, not factoring in the point spread. Uh, and then based on if you're correct, you'll get points towards your score. And if you're incorrect, they will deduct points from your score. Um to put it into perspective how poorly my weekend was from a football standpoint, I lost more than half of the points I had accrued throughout the season this past weekend because some of the teams that I really thought were just going to win did not. Therefore, I lost many points. Buffalo Bills, LA Rams, just to name a few. Anyway, let's go through this week and see how things shake down. Uh, Baltimore Ravens at Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins are 7.5-point home underdogs. I have Baltimore winning 30-15. to 15. That is a 90% probability. And actually, it's, it's larger than 90, but for my purposes, I've capped it at 90. I think it's sort of uh, the diminishing returns if you go beyond that from a probability standpoint. The losses outweigh any sort of positives you can gain from being more bullish than 90%. So 90% for me, Baltimore defeating Miami. Jacksonville Jaguars at the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts are 10-point home favorites. I have them winning 27-15 to 15 over the Jags. Uh, that is an 88% probability. The Atlanta Falcons at the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys are nine-point home favorites. I have them winning 32-18 to 18 over the Falcons. That's a 90% probability. Cleveland Browns. Uh, let's see, they are on the road there in New England, here. Uh, the Pats are one-and-a-half-point home favorites. I have New England winning 23-20. to 20. 
59% probability. Buffalo Bills at the New York Jets. The Jets are 13-point home underdogs. I have Buffalo winning 37-7, looking to rebound after the disaster against the Jags this past weekend. Uh, that's a 90% probability as well. New Orleans Saints at the Tennessee Titans. Titans are 2.5-point home favorites. I have New Orleans winning outright on the road as a dog, 29-26. to 59% probability there. The Detroit Lions at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers nine-point home favorites. I have them winning 22-14, to 14, so not covering that nine-point spread right now. Uh, by the way, these spreads are over on DraftKings. Uh, and the reason I've gone with a 55% probability as opposed to what the true number should be, I, I still don't trust Pittsburgh. They, they, I don't trust them despite the fact that they have been inching their way up the AFC North standings. I, I don't think they're very good. Now, they don't have to be very good to beat Detroit, but but crazier things have happened, case in point, this past weekend. I, I recognize that's probably being a little bit conservative, but 55% for me in favor of Pittsburgh over the Lions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Washington football team, uh, WFT, nine and a half point home dogs. I have the Bucks winning 36 to 15, winning by 21 points. Uh, 90% probability of that happening by my numbers. Carolina Panthers at the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals are nine and a half point home favorites. I have Arizona winning 29 to 14 over the Panthers, a 90% probability there. The Minnesota Vikings at the LA Chargers. The Chargers are two and a half point home favorites. I have the Vikings winning outright on the road. And I know that's dangerous because all these close games, Minnesota seems to lose. Uh, Minnesota 23, LA Chargers 22. That is a 51% probability. Philadelphia Eagles at the, the excuse me at the Denver Broncos. The Broncos are three point home favorites. I have the Broncos winning this game twenty two to twenty one. Another one that's just the slimmest of margins between the two sides. Fifty one percent probability there for the Broncos to win at home. The Seattle Seahawks at the Green Bay Packers. The Packers are four and a half point home favorites. This is with the assumption that Aaron Rodgers is back, and also now that Russell Wilson has been cleared to play. Uh, I actually have the Seahawks winning this game 25-24 to 24 on the road outright. 51% probability of the Seahawks getting the job done. Kansas City Chiefs at the, uh, at the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders are three-point home dogs. Uh, I have them winning 23-20 to 20 over the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs, uh, Jekyll and Hyde. Not, I shouldn't even say that. They, they don't even look good when they win. I think the Raiders, despite a bit of a lull this past week, and I, I think the Raiders get the job done 23-20 to 20 at home. 59% probability there. And then next Monday night, we have the LA Rams at the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners are four and a half point home dogs. I have the Rams winning 30 to 17, covering that four and a half point spread. I have it as an 89% probability of the Rams going north to Santa Clara and defeating the San Francisco 49ers. So there you have it. NFL Week 10 probabilities and forecasts over on 538.com. If you're curious, head on over there. You can look me up. It's just my name, Matt Bernier. You can find it over there and see how things have gone for the past nine weeks. It's been a fun exercise and Again, it's something that I was hopeful I can impart or at least get people to think about horse racing from a probability standpoint. And I was happy that we were able to do that uh, over the weekend uh, with Steve Kornacki being able to talk about some of the probabilities and and value and fair odds and things like that. And uh, while it did not work out as far as the horse that I liked and bet on, he didn't win, still thought I was getting a more than fair price and... One of the horses, or the horse that we highlighted that was an underlay, not because it were, it just happened to work out this way, he finished last. The idea is you need to go through and assign what you believe fair odds are on any given proposition in any given sporting event. 
and go from there. And I say sporting event, it could be politics, could be whatever it may be. Uh, but but make sure you're getting fairly compensated. That's really what the name of the game is all about. So uh, that's going to do it here for this week's show. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. If you're over on YouTube, search bar Matt Burney, your show, you'll get this episode along with the however many prior it's been. What is it, 88 prior episodes, something there thereabouts? Let me just double check this. As you can see, I'm. this is, this is Breeders' Cup fog right here, folks. Uh, this is, uh, this is episode 90. So the 89 prior. Thank you again to all of you who submitted from last week's show. Uh, I hope you guys all enjoyed that. And hopefully we can do it again as we get closer to the triple crown, which is six months away now. Uh, but until next week, when we come back and we do it all again, this has been episode 90 of the Matt Burnier show. Best of luck. However you play, whatever you play and wherever you play.